Well, there's something I'm not very good at, and that is preventing my family from getting lost when we're driving somewhere in a big city. I've gotten us lost in some of the, the, the biggest cities in our country. New York City got us lost. Los Angeles got us lost. Weren't sure if we we're going to live through that one. <laughs> Miami got us lost. East St. Louis, Missouri got us lost. All those places, I, I was like, it's okay, honey. I know where we are. It's okay. It's good. I just want to see a different part of town. You see the part that's not on the tourist map. You know, what I like to do is when I get to a, a new city is get like a real map, like the ones they print on paper. They still make those, I think. And, and look at it to kind of get a lay of the land to see where the roads go, to kind of see where landmarks are and just kind of get a feel for the way things are. I remember when I first moved to Raleigh in the late 90s, 16 years ago. I was really confused by this inner and outer belt line thing. That was before 540 existed. It's like, it's the same road. It's just the direction you're going. Well, how do you know which direction you're going? And I just remember being so confusing until I looked at a map and I was like, oh, I get it. One's on the inside, the other lane's on the outside. That's it. And then they changed it uh, just a few years ago. So it's a whole new set of confusion uh, for those of you who are new to the area. But it's human nature to need a map to kind of figure out our surroundings and know where we are so we know where to go. There's a researcher named Dr. Jan Soman, and he works at the Max Planck Institute, and he, he took this research that had been done since like back in the 1920s, where uh, they would take people and blindfold them, put them in a field, and say, walk in a straight line. Just go, here you are, standing straight, now just start walking and walk in a straight line. 100% of the time, people could do it for a little while. But as they kept walking, they thought they were getting further and further away walking in the straight, straight line. But in reality, what they do is end up walking in a circle. They just start walking in circles over and over. But everything in them feels like they're walking in a straight line. And so he decided, well, let, let's kind of put that to test. And so they got a bunch of folks, students out in the, in the forest and they, on a bright sunny day and they said, just walk in a straight line. And they did it because they would see the sun and, and kind of see where the sun was coming from so they would know. And then when it got close to night, they would see the moon and they would know, okay, we're walking in a straight line. But then he tried it on a cloudy day when there was no uh, mountains to see, no sun, no moon. They, they were just in the, in the forest. And again, even though they weren't blindfolded, they ended up walking in circles, and what he's determined is, well, I'm not 100% sure why that happens, but clearly humans need a fixed point in order to perceive things the right way so we can determine where we need to go. Another thing is, every person said, it felt like I was walking in a straight line. So you can't trust yourself. That's another thing we can learn from that. It might feel like everything we're doing is in the right direction. It might feel natural but you can't trust yourself. And that's what this series is all about. Determining where we are in our generosity and taking a step. And here's our map. This is how we determine. This is where I am and here's the step I need to make. Because if we don't determine where we are and we don't have a fixed point to work towards, then we're gonna have a really hard time living the life of generosity that God has for us. Because by nature, the very first thing we think about when it comes to our financial resources is what or who? Me, mine. Our 16-year-old, the first word she said was not daddy, not mommy. It was mine. Mine, mine, mine. And she would go through the house declaring things in the house 
It was mine. It was hers. And I can remember thinking, it's not yours. I paid for all this stuff. What do you mean it's yours? You don't have a job? How do you think this, this is not yours? It's mine, really. So I, I had an argument, an intellectual argument with a three-year-old. This is mine, not yours. You understand that. Some people never grow out of that. Everything, mine, mine, mine. And that's the first thing that we look at. And so what we did was we decided as a teaching team, we should do a series that helps people determine where they are in their generosity and helps people take a next step. Because left to ourselves, left to myself without looking at some kind of a guide, it all ends up being about me. Every bit of it. And so when you look into God's word, it's pretty clear that's our guide for all of life and especially for our generosity. And so we said, here are some cards. We gave you these on the first week. If you're here for the first time, you can get online and watch the messages, the first two, about what this card is all about. And we're asking everybody, make a decision where you are and just take a step. Take a step up in your generosity. And we labeled those steps. The first step was there's a lot of people who haven't given for the first time. And so we said, there's a lot of you that just need to take that first step. Just take a step up and give for the first time. And that's probably the, the second biggest step on, this, on, this, on these steps in our journey of generosity. People that haven't given, give for the first time. And a lot of people have already done that. I sign notes every week that just says, thank you for giving to the Mission of Life Point Church for the first time. There's been more and more of those in the last few weeks. And if you've already given for the first time and you say, well, I've already done that, what's next? Well, the step for you is to become a consistent giver. And a consistent giver is simply this, someone who says, I will give on a consistent basis. I will think about my giving and I will do it in a consistent manner. And if you're already doing that, we're saying, hey, if you've identified that's where you are, take a step and become an intentional giver. An intentional giver simply says, I will plan my giving. I'm going to plan it in my budget. As it relates to other things in my budget, I'm going to make sure that I'm intentional about being generous. And then for some people, this is really three to 5% of the people all that decide to take this next step. We're going to blow that average out of the water through this series. But people, some people end up saying, you know what? It's not, I don't want to just be intentional. I want to, I want to have a, a clear target and that's tithing. Some people say, I will faithfully give 10% of my income. That's where many of you need to take a step. And then there are some of you, you've been tithing for years. It's just a natural part of who you are. You don't think about it. It's just like a, a line item in your budget. And what we're encouraging you to do is to take a step to become radically generous, which means I'll go beyond. People at the radically generous level, they start to see generosity as not something, oh, I got to do this, what the Bible says. They start to see generosity more as, this is what I get to do with what God has blessed me with. And I believe that if you take a step, it will change you, first of all. You will become a different person. God will open up the floodgates and you will start to grow like never before. And you'll be making a big difference. Not just in your community, but around the world. The Bible has a lot to say about giving. There's some Bibles coming down the aisles right now. If you don't have one, just raise your hand. And you, if you're here for the first time, you might be thinking, the one day I come to church, 
It's about giving. Well, I'm going to share with you some things the Bible has to say. Let the ushers know if you'd like one. They'll give you one, or you can just read along on the screen. We have to realize when it comes to our generosity, God is not sitting back saying, oh man, I hope they take a step because it's pretty tight this month. Things are close. I don't know if I can, can keep my kingdom afloat if people don't start being generous. God's not somewhere doing that. When it comes to generosity, the first thing we need to realize is it all belongs to God anyway. Everything I have, everything in your bank account and my bank account, it belongs to God. So he's not sitting somewhere thinking, man, I need this. I need to make ends meet and I hope they're generous. Here's what one writer in the Old Testament, it was what God said through one writer in the Old Testament in Psalm 50. I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens, for every animal in the forest is mine, and a cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains, and the insects of the fields are mine. So God is saying, I don't need your generosity, but it's something you need to do because it, comes, it becomes that fixed point that helps you get to better places in life, that helps you enjoy all the things that I've blessed you with, whether you have a lot or a little, generosity will move you to a place of being able to enjoy all the stuff that you have on this earth. And so, so what we're saying is figure out where you are and take a step. So whatever the amount your check is, you're giving God what's already his. Now we learn this pretty early in life. Our kids, when they're little, and we take them shopping for, our, you know, for mom or dad or whoever they're buying stuff for, you know, when my kids buy me stuff when they were little, they were doing that with whose money? My money. And you wouldn't think of your, look at your five-year-old and say, yeah, I bought that. You know that, right? I mean, I appreciate it, but I bought that gift with my money. We don't do that. I can remember being moved by some of the choices that our girls made, what they were going to get me or what they were going to get Cinda. With our money, they bought it, but they put thought into it. And in a sense, they're giving back to me what's already mine. And it would move my heart literally to tears sometimes. That's what God does for us. It moves his heart when we take what's already his and we say, here you go. I, I want to give this back. It's just like your child, your toddler, making a decision what they're going to buy you with your money. And you know they can't drive. You know they don't have a job. You know they won't let them buy anything at the counter. But yet you look at that gift and you say, thank you, honey. That was, that's really special. And you cherish it. It moves your heart. That's what our generosity does to God. There's a story in the New Testament where Jesus made that abundantly clear that generosity moved his heart. It's a story that's in the book of Mark in the New Testament, chapter 12. Jesus has been preaching and teaching, and one of the things he's been doing in this section of Scripture is trying to convince all these religious people not to be so religious. Trying to convince all these religious people that it's really about heart, that it's really about relationship. And while this is going on, it's time for the offering in the temple. And this is what happens. Mark chapter 12, verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting in their, 
putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Now here's, here's what's happening. So in that time, the offering wasn't something that was passed around like we do here. It was very much a public thing. I mean, you, it was like in the back when you're walking out in line, it, there's something there to collect. And so people were likely to put in their big, and they probably carried it in like big, big bags, like a big sack of money, and they would drop it in there. And then they would make sure everybody saw, like, everybody looking, thud. And everybody would look and go, did you see the size that he dropped in there? Did you hear the noise? Clang, it made a, against all the other coins in there, gold or silver, or whatever was in there. And it, people were probably very tempted, and so that's what's going on. The catch this time was Jesus was physically there across the room watching. Now, wouldn't that change when you came in? I was like, hey, I got a chair here. Jesus can be here, and uh, you can just give on your way out. I mean, Honey, go get the checkbook. Get that app on our smartphone really fast so we can give because he sees that stuff too. What, I mean, wouldn't it change? And so all these people, maybe they knew Jesus was going to be there and said, honey, get some extra gold. This Jesus claims to be the Messiah. We're going to impress him today. And so the rich people show up and they start dropping thud, 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 money, money, money. The money that's going to help keep the temple going. The money that's needed to make sure what they did for the poor continued to happen. But then, as everybody's eyes were on the rich people, there's two little clink, clink, drop into the offering. And it catches Jesus' attention. And then this great contrast between the people who had so much. And Jesus is not knocking them at all because that's needed. But he's talking about heart. He's talking about sacrifice. And he, he's contrasting. Here's two groups. Here's a group of people who are giving out of what they have left over, out of their wealth. And here's a person who comes up, this elderly widow. And she drops in two small coins. One 128th of a day's wages. It wasn't going to feed anybody. It wasn't going to repair anything. It wasn't going to help the priests. But it caught Jesus' attention. It was the smallest amount of currency available, and she gave it. And with all the big gifts being dropped in, something about that one turned Jesus' head. I did ministry with college students for the first 12 years of my ministry, and I can remember taking them on mission trips, and they would always have to raise their money. And the church I was in at the time, we were doing this specific mission point, and it, it was like 1000 1200 bucks for them to go, and, and they had to raise it. And, and every year, the same old woman would come up and say, I'm saving some money, and I want to help those college kids go on this trip. I would say, great, thanks. Every year, she would come up with an envelope that she had saved, $20. 20 bucks. Now, does that even put a dent in $1,000 or $1,200? No. But was she giving sacrificially? Was she taking a step up in her generosity? Yes. And that kind of generosity caught the attention of Jesus. And so 
he uses that as a teaching moment. So he pulls his disciples and says, guys, you missed something here. You were impressed with all those big gifts, and we need those, and we appreciate those. But here's what you missed. Verse 43, calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty, put in everything all she had to live on. A huge contrast. She gave more than all the others. How is that possible? How is that possible when bags of gold are going in the offering and she's the complete opposite and Jesus said she gave more? They were probably a little confused. Jesus, I saw a guy put in a thousand bucks. I saw another guy do $10,000. I mean, I saw another guy put so much in. I, was, I didn't want to stare that long. I didn't want to count it. And what you're saying is this old woman gave more than they did. And Jesus said, yes. Not in amounts. Jesus is not talking about amounts. He's talking about heart and what you do with what you have, what he's given you and what you've been blessed with. Yes, all of them had more zeros on the end of their gift, but hers came from a different place. It came from deep inside of her heart. And when it comes to percentages, she gave everything according to what Jesus said. And because of the percentage she gave, it demonstrated her trust. So whatever was going on with the temple money, she believed in it so much. And she knew that it was going to be used for the right thing so much that she made a decision. This is for God. I'm just going to give it all. I'm not going to worry about anything else. I'm giving all of it. See, the normal way that we spend money and the, most of the ways we allocate our resources is this. First thing I'm going to do with my money when I get it, spend it. Second thing is, well, I got some bills, so I need to pay some bills. I'm going to do that. Third thing, well, I got to pay the government, so I better pay my taxes. Fourth thing most people do is, I should probably save some for a rainy day. Maybe think about the future a little bit. Now, I've taken this out, this out, this out, and this out. Now, whatever's left, I'm going to be generous with that. I'm going to give that to God. That's not the way Jesus says it's supposed to work. Think about these numbers. The average Christian gives 2.5% to God's kingdom. This comes from a book, The Genius of Generosity. Look it up. You can read it. Christians gave a higher percentage of their total income during the Great Depression than they do today. Up to half of all church members don't give anything to their church. And that's where we got the number, where we got curious and found the number that 54% of the people at LifePoint who say, this is my church home, if you're just checking us out, if you're in Tri-5, you're not counting that number, but 54% give zero, nothing. And so that's when we said, well, we, we got to help people take a step up in their generosity. Now, that's not individual, so if you're if your wife writes the checks or if your husband writes the checks, you're not, left, you're not in that number. It's family units. But the fact is, of all those who give, only 3 to 5% ever get to this step. 3 to 5% ever say, I am going to give 10% of my income to God through my local church because I believe in the vision and the mission of what my church is doing. And another fact, this is in study after study after study, 
shows that the more a person makes, the less they give. Not in amounts. Don't think about zeros on the end of a number. The more they make, the, the more their percentage goes down. Because, oh, I, I can't just turn over that much money. The truth is, people in the median income bracket in the U.S., which is around $50,000, give 6% of their income to charities. That's all charities combined. 6% people in that income bracket. People in the $200,000 income bracket only give 4% of what they have back to charities. I don't think God is okay with those numbers. Because the Bible makes it clear, seeking God first gives us a better life. A life of more contentment, a life of less worry, a life of fulfillment. But so many people struggle with, well, what do I, how do I do that? How do I ever get to that? How do I ever get to a place? You just start. That's how you get there. Because if your money is arranged, that, which is basically, uh, I'm going to spend first, that's me. I'm going to uh, pay debt first, that's me. I'm going to uh, take care of my taxes first, that's still me, so I can live in, my, in this country and not go to jail. Uh, I'm going to save, that's me. And then God's at the end of the line saying, well, whatever's left, I'm going to give that to God. And then what do we do when something difficult happens in life? Oh, God, please deliver me. Please show up. Please let me feel you. And God is saying, I'm giving you an opportunity to feel me every single time that you're blessed with financial resources. I'm giving you an opportunity to show me how much you really trust. I'm giving you an opportunity to put me first so you can feel me. God doesn't desert people who don't give. But people who don't give and aren't generous, there's this, there's this barrier between them and God. And the barrier is all this stuff. Me, 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 me. Take care of that, then God. And then when we need God, why don't I feel him? Well, because he's not the first thing in your life. Giving helps us tear the, the bonds of this world away from us. It demonstrates that this world doesn't have all of our answers, that this world is not the place where we find our ultimate fulfillment. Jesus made it clear that rich is our burden, that it is difficult to have to live with money. And all of us are rich. We talked about it last week. You make more than $27,000 a year, you're in the top 4% of the world's wage earners. Everybody in this room, I would imagine, is rich. Because you got food to eat, clothes to wear, a house to go home to. We're rich. And Jesus said, that's a burden. So more zeros on the end of my gift doesn't mean that I'm giving more. Now, some of you give a lot. I mean, you, you got the zeros on the end. And you might be saying, well, let me just not write my check this month and let's see how much you talk about those zeros. I understand that. But Jesus is still saying, look. I noticed this woman who gave everything, who gave out of her poverty, who gave before she knew how she was going to be provided for, who gave, it didn't matter. She still gave. She still gave. And this poor woman gave more than all those wealthy people. Why? It's simple. My generosity towards God demonstrates how much I trust in God, period. It does, over and over and over again. God's heart is moved by percentage giving, which is sacrificial giving, which is giving in a way that you feel it, giving up something that costs you something, giving up something that alters maybe the way you spend your money in other ways. 
So when it comes to generosity, it's not about the size of the gift, but about the sacrifice of the giver. So what would it look like if you turned around and said, okay, I want to put God first. I want to take a step up. I, I want to be on that step, but I'm at the bottom. What, what if you decided I'm going to do it? Well, the first thing, here's just three quick options. Make it a priority. Because out of all the items in your budget, make it the top priority. The first one. Before you pay anything else, say, God, I'm going to be generous towards you. And when I've seen people do this, they enjoy what's left more than if they spent what they had and then gave to God. So when God's put first in this amount and you got this much, you enjoy this other amount more. You find contentment easier. Things of the the world, they don't pull at your heart quite so much because you start in the place that needs to be first and that's God. Not with us, we start with God. So then when we need God to show up in a pinch, which he's always there for us, we can feel and understand here he is. He can be our our point of focus and help us in our journey of generosity. So make it a priority. Then percentage. Percentages makes giving, it's kind of cut and dry. I mean, numbers don't lie, right? 10% is 10%. I mean, zeros can be deceiving because we feel like, well, because I write this many zeros and this number uh, financially, then I'm okay. Shoot for 10%. Wherever you are, wherever you are, that's, that's 96 to 97% of you anyway. Shoot for 10%. And it will be uncomfortable to start with, but so is a root canal. But when your tooth stops, starts hurting, you got to go do something about it. Start being generous, shoot for 10% and watch what God does. And maybe, if you, maybe you can't just jump into 10%. Pick a percentage and work towards it and get there. It doesn't get any more intentional than saying my first percentage will go to God. And then be progressive. So prioritize, give a percentage and be progressive because you cannot grow as a giver if you don't increase your giving. I remember the first ministry job I had was part-time while I was in graduate school. And I, I, I tithed then. I give back more now than I made then. And probably a lot of you do too. But how can you progressively take a step up? So I've filled out my card. I've put my box on there. I've already filled it out. It's already handed in. I knew when the hand-in day was. So I did mine first. Because if I'm not willing to take a step, how could I ask you to take a step? How could I stand here and say, you need to take a step. You need to jump in. You need to be intentional. You need to tithe. You need to be radical. And if I'm not willing to do that, how could I with any credibility ask you to do the same thing? So why why would we take three weeks and talk about, hey, take a step. Hey, Identify your obstacles and move around them. We'll help you do that through classes and through more instruction. Just take a step. Wherever you are, go to another place. Why would we focus on that? Because I sit in a very unique position. I get to hear things that nobody else gets to hear. I get to hear stories of life change, of people turning their life around. Some of it's confidential, like don't ever talk about that. So don't share it from the stage, and I don't. Don't show it on video, and we don't. 
there are stories of life change that only I know about. But there are other stories that you have got to hear about that we put on the screen or we tell. Stories of, of planting churches, stories of expanding our vision in our area to help connect more people in our area with God. And over and over and over again. And so today, at this part in the series, before we make that commitment, I want you to see a story of someone whose life radically changed, and every bit of that change can be tied right back to your generosity. Take a look. It's my first time here in the U.S., and it turned out that um, this trip became much more than just a vacation to me. I came here with my boyfriend together and um, he was a exchange student in 2006 um, and he was with a family, with a host family, um, it's a family of the Life Point Church and he started to um, telling me stories about um, community living, the family um, he lived with and I decided to, I, I have to get to know that family personally, you know, like I have to touch them and see, feel what it's like. And we decided to go on vacation. Uh, we arrived here and um, spent a lot of time with the family. And suddenly we started to pray before eating. We started to go to church on Sundays and this was completely new for me. When I first got here to LifePoint, I was, uh, it's, I, I really was overwhelmed because of the, um, the warmth and openness people gave and, and, and um, expressed towards me and they didn't know me at all and I didn't knew, haven't knew anybody here, you know, and it's, it was amazing. I, I wanted to, to do that over and over again. I was, um, I looked forward to every single Sunday to go to church again and um, I met so many wonderful people around the family we stayed with. Um, everybody is a Christian and I, I started to think I, I want to have that too. I want to figure out how to get there, how to, to be part of a community like that. And uh, I wanted to figure out what is the point about belief to what's the point about having faith to trust in God, you know. I had no idea <laughs> and I started to read and I started to learn and I started Bible study um, and I read a lot really and I started to struggle a lot because I um, I grew up 26 years with Darwinism, you know, apes, 
humans and I never questioned that and um, I really wanted it to work out because um, while I stayed with the family, with the community, I started to love what was Christianity all about. I wanted to, I wanted it to work out somehow and not that I was looking for an argument to get rid of the Darwinism thing, but um, according to my family thing, um, I started to think about evil, you know, and um, um, dishonesty towards family members. It's, it's somehow an evil thing, I, I think, and it, evil doesn't make sense in any way um, in, in the uh, survival of the fittest theory, you know? Why being evil within your own species? And, you know, it doesn't make any sense to me. And um, it doesn't fit into the evolution theory. So um, there had to be maybe one point sometime long, long ago where um, humankind had to make a decision somehow, you know? Since, since I started to read the Bible, to try to talk to God, and I really, I'm really learning. <laughs> it's not that easy because there's so much stuff in my tiny brain. Um, I really try, and, but since I started to, to learn to pay attention to the small voice, you know, to the Word of God, and um, I really like the, the knowledge about somebody who cares, and I like the thought that I'm not in charge of everything, because I cannot. I'm, I'm just human, you know, and um, it's so comforting to know that there's the one who takes care, you know. Why did I get baptized? Of course I did get baptized. I'm, I'm a follower of Christ now, you know. I, I decided to become a follower of Christ. Yes, I, I love it and I cannot wait to start my personal mission in, at home in Germany and maybe with my family. So without your generosity, she wouldn't have felt a warm place because this building wouldn't be here. She wouldn't have felt whatever she felt from the people that made her feel welcome because we wouldn't exist as a church. Your generosity makes a difference. And without it, all that goes away, including God using us in those stories of life change. When we give sacrificially, everybody gets to participate. From the person who drops in two little coins to the person who can put a whole bunch of zeros at the end. Everybody gets to participate. And it attracts the heart 
of God to watch people, no matter how much or how little they have, give sacrificially in a way that demonstrates their trust to Him. So in a few minutes, the offering baskets are going to come down. You're going to have an opportunity to bring this card back. Put your name on it and check the step that you're going to take. Check the level that you've decided, I'm going to take a step in my generosity because I need to progressively be more and more generous. And you will grow in ways you couldn't even imagine from it. So take a step. Let's pray. God, as we consider the step that we're going to take, help us to determine where we are and use this journey of generosity like a roadmap that keeps us going in the direction you would have us go in. And God, as people struggle with what to write down, I pray that you would just give them the courage and the faith to take that next step as we continue with every ounce of our being to create more stories like Kathy's, more churches planted, more kids fed, and more people ultimately being connected with you. I pray this in Jesus' name.